0: Welcome to Awaken
1: Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning. Welcome to Awaken. My name is Kathy Solomon. I'm the director of community life. And as we start our gatherings, as we call them, we like to set really our intention and Say welcome into this space, and let's be thoughtful of why we're here. Gathering in community to share our faith, to ask questions, to explore, to enjoy the beauty of this time. So in starting, I'd like to begin with a reading from um, a book that I really appreciate. This is by Nan Merrill, and she has paraphrased the Psalms. And I just really appreciate the way that she brings um, about the words. Just in before beginning, many Christian traditions would say that the first Bible was not the written Bible, but the Bible of creation. that we can see the ways that God has revealed God's self and implanted. Um, God's character, God's beauty, God's creativity in creation. So in starting that, let's attend to Psalm 148. Praise creator. Give praise from the heavens and from all ends of the earth. Give praise all you angels, angels of earth and heaven. Give praise sun and moon. Give praise all you shining stars. Give praise all universes, the whole cosmos of creation. Bless, creator, for, though, for through love all was created and firmly fixed forever and ever. Yes, the pattern of creation was established. Give praise to creator, all the earth, all that swim in the deep and all the winged ones in the air. Give praise all mountains and hills, all trees and all minerals. Give praise all four-legged and all that creep on the ground. Leaders of the nations and all peoples, young and old Give praise. Unite together in all your diversity. That peace and harmony might flourish on earth. Let all people praise creator who is exalted in heaven and on earth. Whose glory is above heaven and earth. For all are called to be friends. Companions to the true friend, giving their lives joyfully as co-creators and people of peace. Praises be to creator, the very breath of our breath, the very heart of our heart. Amen. (laughs) All righty.
2: Welcome, 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 everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, my name's Micah, one of the pastors here at Awaken. Uh, if you're new, by the way, uh, for the month of August, we give our our kids community workers a break, and so the kids that are, I think it's five five and up, are with us for the hour. So to those kiddos in the room, good to see you. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Okay. Okay. Um, Oh, yeah, okay, so yeah, let's keep that theme going. If you're new, welcome to you. Um, we'd love to know that you were here. There are some cards in the seat pockets in front of you. You can go online as well. There's a QR code some in some of the spaces back there. Uh, you can fill one of those out and let us know that you were here. Someone from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Those cards and then tithes and offerings can go in the black boxes at each of the exits, and we're grateful for those. A couple things we want to uh, alert you of coming up Uh it falls right around the corner, as you know, and uh, we're sort of getting back into the swing of things as a community and as a church. So that always includes uh, we're a little volunteer fair, so a reminder of all the different ways you can be involved at Awaken. Um, we, we tend to, uh, well, pride ourselves and I think uh, attempt to be on purpose a church that's not driven by and led by and done, executed by our staff. But rather like all the people who make up the church. um, Which means like we just need you to make things happen around here. So uh, the 28th of August and the 11th of September. Those will be two intentional days where we'll set some time aside after the gathering. People will be in the building here who uh, help lead teams. And give you an opportunity to ask some questions. Figure out um, if there's something that you might be involved with that you're not yet involved with. So that's the 28th and the 11th of September. For our kickoff on the 18th of September, you may ask, like, what are we kicking off on the 18th of September? Nothing really. It's just a day that we decide we call kickoff Sunday. So that there won't be any, you know, clowns or popcorn or you know, inflatables or whatnot. But we'll just call that kickoff Sunday. Uh, There is also a fall retreat coming up. Oh my gosh! There's a bunch of you who have already signed up for this, which is so exciting. September 30th to October the 2nd, we're going up to Covenant Pines. Uh, and this is just a yearly rhythm that we have of getting away together as a community. And um, housing is first come, first serve for the retreat. So if you're planning on going uh, and you haven't signed up yet, you might, you might want to get on that quicker than, um, than not. Or you may end up in a bunkhouse inadvertently. Um, and uh, it's lovely. If you haven't been to Covenant Pines, it's a ton of fun. So I want to encourage you to uh, register for that. You can get it online, uh, Facebook instagram all the places that we are and then last but not least um we're setting some time aside to do a little cleaning around here um we haven't cleaned the church uh in a long time i mean it gets cleaned you know don't don't get me wrong but like really deep cleaned the church um in, in a long time so september the 6th from three to eight so it's kind of an open house you can come for as much or as uh of that as you'd like there will be dinner provided, and you can sign up online. Um, our website is awakenwest7th.com, and these are all in The Awaken Weekly, which is an email that gets sent out weekly. That's why it's called The Awaken Weekly. That's right, kids. Welcome to church, everybody. Glad you're here. Um, I'm going to invite Deanna Morrow to share just a little update about one of our missional partners, Ayn Day Young. So, Deanna, take it away.
3: All right. Good morning, everyone. Hi. I serve on the missional team here at Awaken. And one of our new partners um, on the missional team is the Ain Dai Young Center based here in St. Paul. Ain Dai Young is an organization by American Indian people working for American Indian people. We have been supporting them financially, and now we have a couple of other really wonderful opportunities for us to be involved. One of those, there is an emergency shelter that Ain Dai Young runs, it's on Portland Avenue and it's very unique in that it's the only 24-hour emergency shelter in the area. Also, it's culturally specific for American Indian youth, and they can serve children up or as young as the age of five. And the goal is to keep sibling groups together and families together, which is so critically important in the indigenous community. And the, the whole shelter needs a good paint job, so they're having a painting day on Thursday, September the 8th, from 9 to 1. And so if you're up for some painting on a weekday morning, if you could please let me know. You don't have my contact information by any chance? Okay, nope. Well, just see me afterwards, um, and we'll get that. Well, I think it might be in the Awaken Weekly. Yes, it is in the Awaken Weekly. So reach out to me if you're interested. And the other thing involves technology. Ayn Young received a grant, and they're going to be giving free laptop computers to American Indian youth, and they would like to have two to three people on site during the giveaway to just assist with setting up those laptops for anyone who needs some assistance with that. There is not a date yet for that, but if you're interested, reach out to me, and I will let you know when that date is. So thank you very much, and please keep Ain
2: young in your prayers as well. Thank you. Next yeah. Yeah. Some of you may not know this, but 1% of all tithes and offerings at Awaken goes to our uh, our partner there, Ain Young, as a, uh, as a recent um ad, so that's really exciting. Um, you guys ready for some study? Okay, good, good. Um, next week I will be uh, I will be in Spain on the Camino with my middle daughter. Some of you know about this trip that got canceled last year because of unfortunate reasons, a series of unfortunate events, and um, we made it to Newark, which is not that special, okay? <laughs> so we're trying it again, and uh, so I'll be gone next week, and, um, and the following week, uh, my good friend Kelly Chapman, uh, Reverend Kelly Chapman will be here with you guys, so excited about that, um, but that's where I'll be next week, so if you think about us, pray. Um, I walked here this morning with my backpack and my hiking boots, and so we're, we're ready to go, <laughs> Or even if we're not, we're going. Um, so if you would, please, um, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them. We're in Genesis chapter one and two, Mike and Joy. I'll ask you guys to come on up. And uh, this morning we are finishing our series Lost in Translation. And today uh, Jen has been asking me to teach this passage for uh, a number of years in Lost in Translation. You may not know this or not, but there are two creation accounts in the Bible. And they are not the same. They are actually quite different. So instead of having you stand, uh, I was trying to figure out, like, what do we do today? We're going to look at these two stories. And it was like, you know what? We're just going to read them. Um, fancy that. In a lot of church traditions and, and in the Jewish community, there is a Torah portion that's read every time the, gathering, the gathered people come together. And it's often uh, a long story. Uh, so this may feel unfamiliar to some of us, um, and it may not feel familiar, unfamiliar to some of you. But you're going to hear Genesis 1 and 2, uh, the two different creation accounts. And as you do, I'm going to have you stay seated for it. Um, I would just invite you maybe to close your eyes uh, and really uh, uh, move into a posture of listening. Use your imagination and imagine, picture the things that you're hearing and seeing. And just settle into the story uh, because they are are quite beautiful in the way that they are told. So this is uh, the two creation stories of Genesis 1 and 2.
4: And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. And God said,
0: Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water.
4: So God made the vault and separated the water from under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault, Sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said,
0: Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear.
4: And it was so. And there was evening and there was morning, the third day. And God said,
0: Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth.
4: And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said,
0: Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky.
4: So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with
0: The creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind.
4: And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said,
1: Let Let us make
4: make mankind in in our our image, in our our likeness, so that that they they may rule over the fish in in the the sea and the the birds birds in in the sky, Then God said,
0: I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food.
4: And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day.
0: Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array.
4: By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The second story of creation.
0: This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens.
4: Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being.
0: Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil.
4: A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon, it's wind's It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold.
0: The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there.
4: The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush.
0: The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man...
4: You are free to eat from any tree in the garden... But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die.
0: The Lord God said,
4: It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him.
0: Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock
4: She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man.
0: That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh.
4: Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame.
2: Pray with me. God, this morning, as we enter into this time of exploration and study and wonder... I pray that by your spirit you would move, that you would guide, you would lead, that you would open our eyes and our ears to um, who you are and what you would have for us this morning. We pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the spirit and the church said together, amen. <clears throat> it's been a long time since I've heard both of those stories connected to each other. Um, and I had not heard Mike and Joy um, do that, but the bit where the, let us make man, did that one like just arrest anyone else? Wow. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Um, It only takes two pages into this story to, like, find contradictions or apparent contradictions, um, questions that seem to be um, unanswerable or things that seem to be at odds with one another, like the order of creation, the order of how this whole thing started, right? Um, not to mention um, a book that seems to question scientific agreement about like um, how long we've been here or how many days did it actually take to make this place. So uh, what is this book? Uh, like, What's the purpose of it? What's it trying to do? How do we read it? How do we approach it? How do we interpret it? How do we hold it? How do we listen to it? Uh, what's the scope or the aim or the intention of it? And, or said differently, what's beyond the scope or aim and intention of this book? Right? These are all questions that we come with, maybe, uh, to this book called the Bible. And if you're new around Awaken, that's one of the reasons why we do Lost in Translation. Because this book, as beautiful as it is and, and um, as sacred as it is and as meaningful as it is, to many people, it is complicated, and it has tons of um, odd, weird, bizarre, challenging, difficult, alarming things it says. And so we want to wrestle with it and uh, open it and allow it to shape us and form us and maybe um, be honest with it, right? So uh, that's what we hope to do in Lawson Translation, and that's what I hope to do this morning. Uh, you heard two different accounts of the creation of the world these are called ancient cosmologies. Uh, these are myths. And I don't say myths to say they're untrue. I mean myths in terms of like supra-true or beyond-true. They, they shape and guide and form the people that wrote them or listened to them or heard them. Um, and they are to be read in certain ways and not to be read in other ways. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to explore that a little bit. Um, a few of the questions or, or issues that these two creation accounts raise are as follows. Um, first, like who wrote Torah? Who wrote the book of Genesis? Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis is the first. Who wrote this book? Many people believe it was Moses. A lot of people uh, believe that it wasn't Moses, that it was a group of people, that it was written at a later date and it was redacted and put together, compiled by a group of people. So if, there, if that's true and there are two different creation stories, no big deal, right? But if Moses wrote wrote it, then why are there two bizarrely different creation accounts right next to each other that don't even line up? And so then, of course, if you hold the Bible in a certain way and you use words like inerrant and infallible, you've got some work to do, right? So how we hold the Bible and how we read it matters. Um, Here are some of the differences in the creation stories that you heard. In Genesis chapter 1, there was water first. I don't know if you noticed this. There was too much water. There was so much water, it was everywhere. And God had to separate the water. Uh, It's followed then by land and plants and animals and finally humans who were made on the sixth day. But by contrast, Genesis chapter 2, it begins with not enough water and land. Uh, And then water comes up out of the ground instead of being separated by the divine. Uh, Followed by Adam, and then animals and plants, and then last but not least, Eve, the woman. Uh, in the first story, the mode of creation is the divine word. God speaks, and things come into existence. Whereas in the second story, it's as if God's hands are involved, forming and shaping the, the, the human in the earth. And then God's breath, the Hebrew is like pretty clear on this, like the mouth of God breathes life into the human. It's very different. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, did anyone notice there's no Garden of Eden? Did you ever notice that? I mean, like, that's so important. That's like, that's, that's the whole story, the garden. But there's no Garden of Eden in Genesis 1. And the point of Genesis 1 seems to be humans, and if not that, you know, we are a bit narcissistic at times, um, Sabbath. Like, the point, the, the, the pinnacle of the first story is Sabbath and God's rest. Whereas the pinnacle of the second story seemed to be Garden of Eden. This place that God places them. Um, today, Here, here's what I'm not going to do. I, I'm not going to try to answer the question, who wrote Torah? That's an interesting conversation. Uh, lots of people have written lots of things about it. Uh, and you can find them online or in books. That's not what I'm going to do today. I'm also not going to try to fit these two stories together. A lot of people uh, who hold the Bible in a certain way, when you find contradictions in Genesis 1 and 2, you have to, like, Uh, Like smash them together and make weird moves to try to uh, undo the discrepancies that are there Uh, I'm not going to do that because I think they are two separate stories Possibly, I would argue, likely written by two different people For two different reasons Um, I'll let you in on a little secret I don't know why there are two accounts in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 I have no idea Uh, It's an interesting story, but I really don't know why they're there. Um, Why not just one? Other than the fact that they're both really beautiful. They're both stunning, and I think they both communicate something that's beautiful and important about what God is like. Uh, I don't know why there are two accounts other than Genesis 1 seems to stand on its own, and Genesis 2 seems to be clearly connected to Genesis chapter 3. There's actually a chiastic structure between Genesis 2 and 3 that would lead a lot of people to believe, and I would say should lead us to believe, that those are connected to each other. Um, here's what I am going to do this morning. I want to make a few observations about like how to hold these stories, how to read them. Uh, they are offerings to you, which you can wrestle with, disagree with, push back on, or take for what they are, my thoughts. And um, what I think is wise... Um, Wisdom on how to read this book. And then I want to end with just one application, one piece of uh, like a nugget that for me, as I studied and read and prepared for this week, um, I found to be terribly helpful, and I hope it is helpful for you. So that's what we're going to do today. Are you with me? Okay. Number one, uh, creation myths like this, and I'm going to keep using the word myth because that's what it is. Creation myths like this tell us what God is like, not how God did it. I want to suggest that Genesis 1 and 2 is not really interested in how did God make this place. If we ask the Bible questions it's not interested in answering, it shouldn't surprise us that we get a massive variety of opinions on that, the answer to that question, right? Um, a couple, The last couple of weeks, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Romans chapter 1, and I brought a question to the text, which was, does the Bible condemn gay marriage? you could make a pretty strong argument that the Bible's not interested in answering that question, right? I think it's an important question to bring to the text, but when we ask the Bible a question it's not interested in answering, or didn't intend to answer, we should approach it with that in mind. We should then be humble in whatever application or deduction we've made, because we're only applying, we can only deduce, we can only say, we can only extrapolate, To the question that we're asking, right? And so when we do that, which isn't a bad thing to do, but we should know what we're doing when we're doing it, whatever conclusion we've come to then, we should hold loosely, humbly. So if you remember how I started the last couple of weeks, it was with great humility, because I knew that I was asking a question that the Bible and Paul really wasn't interested in answering. Does that make sense? So when we come to Genesis, I would submit to you, Genesis doesn't care how long it took God to make the world. It doesn't care. Whoever wrote it could give two. F- it doesn't care. <laughs> That's just not what it's doing. So when we come and we say, like, well, was it seven days or did it 14.5 million years? Interesting question, but not what the writer of Genesis cared about. Uh, They didn't care about an atom and how it's divided or a cell and how it divides. They didn't care about uh, philosophy or metaphysics or existentialism or any number of things that we bring to the the story. Rather, I would argue, whoever wrote this book and whoever wrote that story is interested in what is God like. And we must read it in light of that, in its context, which is the ancient Near East. Uh, That's a long ways away from here. Here's a quote from uh, two authors, Richard Carlson and Tremper Longman. I've never met anyone named Tremper. That's an interesting name. They write this, The early chapters of Genesis accurately present two accounts of cosmic and human origins in the language and ideas of the ancient Hebrews. These texts should not be removed from their ancient context and read as if they refer to the process of cosmic or human origins in 21st century scientific terms. That's pretty clear. That seems pretty, That's well said. They speak in terms of an ancient Near Eastern perception of the world, which is different than our perception of the world in 2022, and should be interpreted within that setting. When we discern the meaning of texts in their ancient context, we find that they constitute a worldview statement about God and his relationship to the world, about humans and their relation to God and the world. This basic worldview statement transcends its ancient cultural setting. It doesn't mean it's stuck in time. No, it can transcend and it does. But it, and it commands the attention of God's people in all time and place. Right. So, number one, creation stories like this, of which there are many. You can find creation stories, myths, cosmologies from all kinds of different cultures we need to read them in their context and this one is not interested in how did God make the world but what is God like second creation myths are interested in what kind of world we exist in what is the nature of this place what what are the relationships in it Uh, um, as I mentioned before these stories are trying to get inside and see what God is like and what is the nature of the world that we live in where did it come from and where is it going what are the relationships and the nature of the relationships that exist within it? And one of one of the most stunning claims of Genesis one and two is its commentary on the abundance, the generosity of, uh, and and the confidence of the divine as it relates to power. This is I think this is so fascinating. Uh, This is from a guy named Richard Middleton who wrote on on Genesis chapter one. He says it is the claim of Genesis one that God granted a royal priestly identity as the imago Dei to all of humanity, whereas power in Babylon and Assyria, uh, the Assyrian empires, was concentrated in the hands of few. Power in Genesis one is diffused and shared. Isn't that beautiful? No longer is the image of God applied only to the privileged or elite. Rather, all humans, male and female, are created as God's royal stewards, entrusted with the privileged task of ruling on God's behalf. That's a very different relationship, very different world. This democratizing of the image of God constitutes an implicit critique of the entire royal and priestly structure in the ancient world. Isn't that beautiful? The way in which God is pictured is a God who's generous, who's offering itself, who's giving its power away, which is very different than the way the ancient world was structured. Now we could, trans- we could, we could fast forward to 2022 um, and ask a question or, like, uh, how does Genesis 1 and 2 critique the structures of our world? What does it offer to you and I, and the way we relate to one another, and the way power and authority is worked in our world? In what ways is it consistent with our world, or is it at all? So creation myths, this one in particular, is interested in what kind of world do we exist in? Some of you are reading, braiding sweetgrass uh, with the artists and, and the, uh, the stem mingles. Uh, and, and there's, a, there's an indigenous creation story in there where a sky woman falls from the sky, and it, it's beautiful, and it offers a particular understanding or, or, or a picture of what kind of world do we live in, how do we relate to one another and the animals and the things around us. That is what these stories are about. Um, one more, and then an application. Uh, and I would say it as this simply as this. This, these stories in Genesis 1 and 2 are this as opposed to that. This as opposed to that. So when we read Genesis 1 and 2, it's helpful to, to ask, like, how is this different than the others around it in its context? This as opposed to that. Um, Theomachy, do you guys know what that is? Any any Greek mythology folk? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, I learned this this week. Theomachy is a pretty like uh, 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 an idea in Greek mythology where the, the the gods are warring with one another, and in the ancient world, this is an uh, this is very very common in creation stories. So, for example, in Babylon and in Canaan, two uh, neighboring nations and empires and, and people to the ancient Israelites. Um, Marduk in the Babylonian story is battling Tiamat, the sea. And out of this conflict and war comes creation. Similarly in the Canaanite story, Baal is uh, battling Yam, which is also the sea. So you can even see some of the similarities about gods and water. But in both of those stories, creation is a byproduct of divine conflict. Where the gods are at war, and out of that comes humans. And usually they're to serve or be kind of enslaved or prop up or you know, meet the needs of God or the gods. Whereas in our story, in Genesis 1 and 2, Israel's God has no rival. Right? In this story, God has, Yahweh has no rival. And creation is, an, is a byproduct, not of war and conflict, but of divine love. Of God's abundant nature... And generative posture. Let us make mankind, humankind, in our image. This, as opposed to that. That's the stunning and stark and earth shattering claim of Genesis 1 and 2. Not, it took God seven days to make the world, right? You see what I'm doing here? You see what's happening? So, when we come to these stories, it's important that we come with the right lenses and the right questions, or I would say, better questions. let me, let me close with this, an application which I found to be helpful this week. Um, if this book... I'm going to make a few claims. If this book is about the formation of our body, mind, and soul, and not solely or even primarily about information and doctrine, if this book is about formation, spiritual formation, and not primarily about information and doctrine... If this book is an opportunity for divine revelation, where God chooses to reveal God's self through it, and if this book has the capacity, because God does that, to encounter me, then I would submit to you that Genesis 1 and 2 offers an aspect and a picture of God's nature that you will desperately need in your spiritual life. If this book is about the formation of my heart and my soul and me as a person, and it's not primarily about communicating information to me or doctrine to me, then what I find in Genesis 1 and 2 is I am going to need it in my life as a spiritual being. Here's what I mean by that. Some of you came into church this morning, and you maybe feel that your life is out of control that the world that we live in is out of control. Like spinning off its access out of control. Like there's way more darkness than there is light out there. Like there are systems and structures and powers and principalities and empires that are so far out of whack there's hardly hope for their transformation. And maybe you feel a bit hopeless and desperate and despairing about the condition of our world. And the temperature of our world (laughs) that threatens not only my life, but the life of all the creatures. Maybe that's how you walked into this morning. And I would submit that Genesis chapter 1 tells the story of a God who is transcendent. A God who is sovereign somehow. Whose divine word speaks things into existence who is over all things, who commands the sea and the sun and the moon and the stars, who places them in the sky, who forms mountains and plains and valleys and meadows and rivers, who is transcendent above but not removed from the life and heartbeat of the world that you live in. And to, to you I would say, what if that's what God is like? What if that's actually what God is like? There will be moments, maybe this moment in your spiritual journey, when you may need to be reminded that there is a God that is in control, that is sovereign, that is over and above, that is holding, that sees, that notices, that loves, that cares about the things that you care about, about the things that break your heart, about the things that keep you up at night or cause you anxiety or distress that you can trust and lean in and fall into the character of this divine being that we've been introduced to in this story of Genesis chapter 1. Maybe you came into this morning and you feel like you are desperately alone because of fractured relationships or friendships or because hopes and dreams for your life or your kids' lives or your spouse's life or any someone's life that you care about is not what you thought it would be. Maybe you feel that God is distant and silent. You feel like you're fumbling around in the dark looking for a light switch, lost or confused and desperate in need of a friend and comfort. And I read Genesis 2, and I'm introduced to a God who is so near and imminent that its very breath animates my being that actually gets down in the dirt of creation and forms and shapes and molds and makes new things. That, that walks with me in the cool of the day. A God who entrusts me with important things because I'm dignified and have dignity. Dignity. A God who asks me questions and draws me out but doesn't indict and and shove me back into a corner. What if that's what God is like? Genesis 2 invites you to see God as near and close. Someone who cares deeply and intimately connected to your very being. I don't know how you walked into this morning or what you've come from. At the end of the day, there are two options. Either like, we're alone and there is no God, and I'm just up here providing something that you need in a compelling way each week, and it's all a ruse. Or there actually is something out there. There is something beyond us that we're not here on accident, and you're not here for no purpose. But there is a divine being, and if there is, what is that God like? And can you trust it? So Genesis 1 and 2 offer these two beautiful, stunning pictures, images, truths about what is the nature of the divine, eminent and transcendent, near and over all things, who will walk with me intimately and care for me and knows my name and entrusts me with things and who spoke the mountains into being. I don't know, do you remember the first time you were just taken by creation I was thinking about that this morning. I was like 7 or 8, maybe 9 years old. My dad took us on a fishing trip up to Crane Lake. And I remember sitting on top of this like rock bluff, looking out over a stunning sunset with loons calling, you know, and the smell of the pine trees. And I was just captured by the wonder of creation. Who did that? So I offer to you this morning, wherever you've come from, whatever it is you bring into this space, that these two stories aren't really interested in asking, answering technical questions that we bring to it, but rather want to give you the gift, a reminder of the nature of God and what God is like, and the nature of the world that we are intended to live in, and the kinds of relationships we're intended to have with one another, with God, and with the world that we live in. And you can choose to not listen to them or not take the wisdom that they offer and apply it, and you can... Th- Go, go your own way and figure out a different way. That's your choice. You have free will. But I'm offering to you this morning this possibility that, that in fact, this is what God is like. And I root it in the fact that we, well, he's behind that screen up there, but um, we, we know this to be true because of Jesus. That Jesus has revealed what God is like to us. And if that's true, then this is true. And so, I offer it to you this morning. And hope that it might be an encouragement wherever you find yourself. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning, um, we want to take just a few moments of quiet. A lot of times we fill our lives with noise and talking. And um, maybe because we don't want to be alone or because we don't want to be quiet. But just for a moment, we want to do that. And trust that you are with us and here, imminent and near, and also transcendent and above all things sovereign, seeing, caring, walking with. So meet us now, we pray. As we close this morning, <clears throat> Mel's going to continue to lead us in song. And as we do, a uh, couple of options for you. Invitations, our prayer spaces over here in the corner. You're welcome to always use that. Um, there is also Eucharist on my right and left. Um, and so, um, when I'm done talking here in just a second, we'll invite you to make your way up the side aisles. There's some sanitizer, um, I think. Yep. Uh, grab some of that. And there is gluten-free bread. We would invite you to take a piece of the bread and dip it in a cup. There's red wine and there's white grape juice. And as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you. The blood of Christ has been shed for you. The table has been set for you to come. And experience um, together as a community, something that we can't do alone. Uh, so, invite you to respond. Well, church, I was telling Jenna, for uh, as much anxiety as I felt like three weeks ago and last week, I, did, I felt very little anxiety about this morning. Um, so good to be with you, good to see your faces. And a reminder um, like, we just marked time in our lives that just go on and on there are moments, rhythms that we want to be intentional about and mark say this is important and so we come and we gather and we come to this table and Eucharist and dedications and the word, song together and so we mark time and then we leave go back into the world for the task of love and life, mercy and justice and all the things that are in God's heart so as you go, take those with you And know that God is good, God is with you, and over and above, and holding all things. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen, amen. Grace and peace, friends. See you next week.
0: find us online at www.awakencommunity.com, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Community or on Twitter at awaken Community. See you okay. next time.